In the beginning, the world was created from the four elements. Fire and ice. Two others. And the fifth element, love. Oh. <laughs> satirists and welcome to swords and satire the podcast will return low fantasy in the high art i'm your dungeon manager jamie mokul here with my fellow barbarians i'm jack olander one of the men who watches the lava gates i'm supposed to pull the lever but it's too hot and it keeps hurting my hands ouch yeah it's a hard job sounds like it yeah and i'm chelsea a firehawk writer Oh. Good job. You for those see. of you that don't know, it's a I, I ride pterodactyls for a living. Firehawks. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I never got that promotion. You know, I'm, I'm just not the competitive type. I hear it's a tough field to get into. Your job's safer, probably. Besides the hot My hands. Yeah. <laughs> that's part of the myth of Firekeep, that you can actually ascend to the level of Firehawk rider. Oh. Because it's like... A perpetuation of uh, different social classes, you know? Oh, I my, see. My father was a firehawk writer. Mm-hmm. So it's just motivation for me to work harder, but it's unattainable. Exactly. Oh, man. Hey, man, that's the fire and ice dream. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you can't tell from this banter, this week we watched 1983's Fire and Ice, an animated classic film by director Ralph Bakshi and producer Frank Frazetta, whose art style inspired this movie. Um, it stars a number of people who I'm not going to name here because most of the characters have a voice actor and a body actor, and we don't have time for all that. So, yeah. uh, needless to say, it stars some voice actors and some body actors. Why the hell are there body actors? Well, I'm glad you guys asked why there's body actors. I'm pretty sure they're called performance actors, but whatever. Um, because this movie was created via rotoscoping, which is a film process where they would film live-action sequences and then draw the animation on top of the frames. Yeah, it makes it look really realistic with the way that the people move around in the movie. Yeah, it must have been really hard for the actors to move in slow-mo like that all the time, though. <laughs> yeah. A lot yeah. of slow motion in this movie. <laughs> also, fitting them with an outline must have been really difficult. Yeah, it's hard to keep the outline on yourself when you're doing all that jumping and climbing. It's true, but it came out looking so good. Yeah. It means hours of makeup. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get too long, Chelsea, do you have a summary ready to go? If I don't, it's going to happen anyway. Oh, yeah, oh nice. boy. Okay, here's your summary for Fire and Ice. So this is a story of conquering villains and the, I'll say, freedom fighters who oppose them. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're fighting for the freedom for a monarch to rule his kingdom. The truest freedom. <laughs> they yes. call themselves free people, so... So, let me get into it here. 
So Queen Juliana and her son Necron control the forces of ice. They have people that basically are Neanderthals who are their subjugated people. We will call them the Neanderthals. Yes, who work for them. And um, they're trying to conquer all of the lands of this movie. And (laughs) all two lands? Question mark. (laughs) There are two major civilizations in of this film: the Kingdom of Ice, ruled over by the Ice Lord, that's Necron, and the human civilization of the Fire Keep, ruled over by King Jerol. Their kingdom is in these this system of volcanic caves, and it's the last bastion of humanity. It's kind of hot. Oh yeah, it's warm. No, it is really hot. I keep burning my hands. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. It's so warm there, everybody just wears loincloths. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, there are also other smaller settlements and uh, tribes of Viking peoples kind of dotting the landscape who are largely unprotected against the Ice Lord, Necron's powers. And he just, like, wields... A glacier as his weapon. Oh, dude, such a great choice of weapon. Yeah. And and just rolls over the landscape with this fucking thing. I think it's also his home. And um, he just rolls through all of these villages. And we see him taking over a Viking village, just destroying it. And some of his Neanderthal thugs go in to finish off the job. He only cares about dominating people and just killing everybody off. He but, just loves to use his powers. Yeah, but, you know, I have to say, like, he's um, kind of keeping the glaciers together. So maybe we need Necron. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. More on that in rewriting history, I think. <laughs> yeah. So back at Firekeep, King Gerald is concerned because they can now see this glacier coming upon them. And they know that... Necron and his mother Juliana are coming for them. They want to dominate everything and take over the other civilization. So he's trying to come up with a plan to thwart Necron and his evil plans. Queen Juliana sends an envoy of messengers to King Gerald's abode. Your classic hooded messengers. Mm. Yeah. They're talking peace and friendship out of one side of their mouth with the knowledge that some of their compatriots are going to be abducting King Gerald's daughter, Princess Tigra. And three infiltrators make their way into her bower. They abduct Tigra while the king is in his throne room speaking with the hooded messengers. Princess Tigra isn't going lightly, though. She's fighting them every step of the way. She's pretty good at it, too. And she tricks these captors by looking all hot in the water when they stop to get a drink. For those who haven't seen the movie, um, I would describe Tigra's outfit as basically non-existent. Does that does that seem about right? Yeah, almost she, not there. It's basically three triangles. She <laughs> yeah. she makes Cassandra from last week's movie, The Scorpion King, look like a modest Protestant woman. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So she tricks them and goes underwater and swims away. And evades them, evades a huge lizard who then just randomly attacks her captors. Just devastates 
these guys. And makes her way into the wilderness, the jungles beyond her father's keep. Are the jungles part of Iceland or Fireland? They're kind of part of the landscape in between. Hmm. Yes, the Great Plains. Hmm. Something along that line. Yeah. And along the way, she meets a survivor from the Viking village from the beginning of the movie, Larn, a Viking warrior. Good Viking name. Yeah. And then she entices him forward, gives him berries, and then they're friends. It's, it's a little confusing. But, you know. Well, I mean, she she shows a lot of butt cleavage, so I mean, he's got to follow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she wiggles her butt at him, and um, they're friends. <laughs> That's how I make most of my friends. <laughs> yeah. And so they become traveling companions. They're having a few peaceful days together. Their relationship seems pretty wholesome, given that she's just wearing three triangles. He's kind of wearing one triangle. That's true. To yeah. be fair. Yeah. yeah. So they have a meet cute. And uh, yes. she invites him back to her town. And they're about to head out. But they fall into the water after being too playful together. And there's a huge octopus that attacks them. And the anus face octopus. <laughs> Tigra straight up bounces and leaves Larn to die. And... Larn thinks she was drowned in the water, so they both think the other one was dead. But when Larn <laughs> awakens, he finds that he has been tied up by somebody with a wolf hat. This uh, is Dark good old, Wolf. Good old wolf hat. Yes. <laughs> My old pal wolf hat. Dark Wolf is a vigilante, a lone wolf warrior who travels the lands fighting against Necron's thugs. Necron's dogs. Yes. <laughs> the Neanderthals. Yes. Whose uh, title from the movie we will not repeat here. <laughs> so the Dark Wolf looks a lot like a Viking version of Batman. Yes. It, the wolf hat is like just a cowl with the two spiky black ears. Yeah. And his eyes are peeking out. It's Yeah. yeah. And he has the gruff voice. Yeah. Where's Necron? Yeah. Where is he? (laughs) Yep. So he nurses Larn back to life. He tries to help him recover Princess Tigra, who's been captured again. Because Dark Wolf Wolf is a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. She's been captured by the Neanderthal thugs. Uh, They tie her up this time because they know that she's tricky. And uh, there's some. Missed opportunities when she doesn't know that Dark Wolf and Larn are heading out to try to save her, so she tries to save herself. These damn misconnections. <laughs> so she does save herself. She grabs a knife from some dude's butt crack and. <laughs> Just classic. Shanks the guy that she's tied up to. Well, where's he supposed to keep his knife? <laughs> <laughs> tries to drag him away, falls into a cavern. She's rescued by some other huge, almost troll-looking dude who takes her back to his witch mother. This witch hates Necron, but thinks that she can get something out of this arrangement. So she tells her troll son (laughs) to make a deal with Necron's men to give them something in return for turning over Princess Tigra. But... Those Neanderthals don't give a shit. They just come and kill both of those fools. Burn the whole fucking tent down. Yeah, and just take Tigra back anyway. Yeah. So, poor Larn keeps missing her. He finds the burned out hut. The witch 
fucking sits up as a skeleton and starts talking to him. It's pretty cool. So fucking cool. Kind of body horror a little bit. Yeah. Very cool. The thatching art style in her empty eyes was uh, haunting to me. Yes. Oh, yeah. Kind of like medieval, like, plague era art. Yes. A lot like that. And she tells Larn basically to avenge her and where to go after the Neanderthals to find Tigra. We'll skip ahead to her getting taken back to Necron's ice layer, the huge glacier. We're skipping this way because the movie skips this way. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. And King Gerald finds out that his daughter has been abducted by Juliana and Necron and sends his only son, Prince Taro, with a small band of warriors to go negotiate for her release and for peace between their peoples. So that meeting doesn't go very well. Prince Taro tries to plead for peace. Necron just kind of laughs in their face and shits on Tigra, calling them all lesser beings. He kind of feels superior to everybody. I mean, if you're Necron, the meeting went great. (laughs) Yeah. He basically forces them all to kill each other because he can just manipulate people through his psionic powers. He has power over ice and psionic powers. But spoilers, he wastes a lot of spell slots in the process. Yeah, it seems like it takes a lot out of him. And then that's when Larn jumps out. He had kind of stolen away on Prince Taro's ship to make his way to the keep to find Tigra and get revenge for the death of his people. And Necron kind of toys with him, pseudo-fighting with him, make a show of having a duel with him, but then just manipulating him like he did the other warriors. But he's not done playing with his new toy. So he has his Neanderthal thugs throw Larn into a jail cell. Meanwhile, Tigra has been cast aside into some kind of pit where they throw all the dead bodies. But she's still alive. And she wakes up and finds her dead brother next to her and freaks out. So she kisses her brother on the cheek as a farewell and grabs his dagger to try to do something productive. (laughs) Nice. Um, She finds Lauren where he's being held captive, tries to free him but gets taken captive again herself. She gets taken captive a lot in this movie. Then Lauren gets himself out of the jail cell by beating up a guard and then just runs away and leaves her there. Yep, that's Lauren for you. Yeah, I was shocked. Uh, She dipped on him earlier. (laughs) It's true. But then, right when you think the thugs that are chasing after him are going to kill him, good old Dark Wolf shows up again to save the day and kills all those motherfuckers. (laughs) That's pretty much it. So they go back to King Gerald together to say they need to take the Firehawks, a small band of pterodactyl riders, to go into this glacier stronghold and go after Necron once and for all. These are the elite warriors. They think they can make it through. As they're flying into the glacier, riders are picked off one by one with their pterodactyls with boulders that are thrown from overhead. And they rain arrows down upon them. And one by one, they're picked off. But Lauren has trouble controlling his firehawk. And he somehow makes it onto the surface of the glacier. Crash lands. And then beats up a guard and makes his way back into the tunnels. Meanwhile, Dark Wolf just rides his arrow-laden firehawk all the way to (laughs) Necron's front gate. 
and jumps off as he makes his way through and starts just swinging his axe at thugs left and right. It's an epic entrance. And then just runs screaming at Necron, who tries to use some of his psionic magic against him. They duel a little bit, and then Necron kind of escapes up to the top of his keep where he has some epic tower that's a skull made of ice with claws coming out of the top. It seems like a place of power for him. He's making his last stand on this tower. And Dark Wolf follows him up there. And this is where Necron's starting to feel the fatigue of using all these spells. He's trying to keep Dark Wolf at bay with his psionic abilities. He just is too... Immense. He's too strong to die. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And Necron yells out, Why won't you die? Does he? Yes. Yeah. And then Dark Wolf just screams and... Yeets him with an axe! Just plows him. Yeah. (laughs) And Queen Juliana sees her only son struck down and screams to the heavens. And Dark Wolf raises his axe one time to make the final blow on Necron. Ow. That was a great (laughs) sound effect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good Foley work. (laughs) And meanwhile, Tigra is down in the tunnels saving Larn as he's fighting off the last of the thugs and they have to run away through the tunnels together because her father thought that the glacier was going to overtake his keep so he unleashes the lava of the mountain so the lava melts everything the jungles in between the two kingdoms all of the glacier and you're not sure if the lovers made it out alive but in the last scene you see them waking up together on the shore, and you see Dark Wolf riding away <laughs> on his steed. In a classic Frank Frazetta pose that you've all seen of the barbarian dude with the axe over his head on the horse at the top of a mountain. Like, totally replicating this great art style from the producer. Mm-hmm. And there's your epic summary. Boom! That was an epic summary. Awesome. And that means it's time for an epic delve. Welcome to The Delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, making of, and critiques of fire and ice. So guys, the class struggle in this one is pretty subtle, I have to say. It's all in the subtext of the movie, because we've got this battle between two kingdoms. You know, the prince of the ice realm, the king of the fire realm. Mm -hmm. And who gets caught up in the middle of this? The little guy. Large people devastated, loses his whole family, his whole tribe. What are they? They don't have a a dog in this race. They weren't trying to hurt anybody. They're just eking out a a simple existence, living off the land and everything. Wiped out. Larn's the last survivor. Of course he's going to take it up upon himself to rise up. And it doesn't matter that, you know, um, Tigra is royalty. She doesn't, like, act better than him in any way. She makes it a point to say, like, I'm not a thief. I can I can be, you know, resourceful on my own. I can, per- I can, I can help out. And we do see that Tigra is educated. You know, she's a smart lady. She's witty and cunning. 
it really seemed like Necron didn't think that anybody else deserved his respect. And the people that were in all the villages were just collateral damage in his need for domination and power. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, in war, it's always the poor who pay the highest price. True. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, Necron doesn't really care uh, about the people. And then at the end of the movie... Gerald releases the lava and then just devastates the land, destroys everything, kills everyone, the plants, the animals, everything, just wiped away in a flood of lava. And that's where the ending kind of gets to me because I like uh, Larn and Tigra, but they're just totally content. Like, Larn is supposed to have forgotten that he's lost his tribe and now the land is devastated. Mm-hmm. I don't buy it. It's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. Also, a power dynamic. We mentioned that Necron has just complete subjugation over the Neanderthals. Necron's dogs. Yes. They call them throughout the movie. But his mom, Juliana, she's the one that sends the Neanderthals to go capture the princess. And when they lose her for the first time, she appears in the fire to the Neanderthals to ask them if they finished their mission. And when she hears that the princess got away, she manifests the fire to be solid and nooses one of them as punishment for letting the princess get away. Yes. Complete domination and disposability of, yeah, your own people. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal dictatorship. Yeah, it's brutal. Not very nice. Do not, yeah, do not like. Yeah, mean even. Yeah. Yeah. Not efficient either. No. So that segues nicely into some of the themes I wanted to talk about, actually. Mm-hmm. I thought that their style of rule, Juliana and Necron versus King Gerald, could kind of be extrapolated from the way they treated others and the structure of their kingdoms and Ooh. the roles people played in their under their rule. Now this I want to hear. So Necron and his mom Juliana are all about domination and control. As you guys were saying. And their people, basically these Neanderthal thugs, live in fear of them. Mm-hmm. And their actions are cruel. And they are warlike because that is what their rulers demand. They engender a ferocity in their people and maintain an iron fist to keep them violent. To keep them subjugated. Mm-hmm. Right. And... King Gerald seems to rule through love and respect. And even though he doesn't have a respect for the land, which they should because they would be dependent on the land. But anyway, it seems like it. there is a division of labor in uh, Firekeep. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't seem to be misogynistic in my opinion because... I'm kind of extrapolating that from one line in particular, but there are other ways that we see that. Um, One of the pieces of evidence is that Tigra's teacher is a woman. Mm -hmm. And um, she is being trained as a scholar. Her teacher tells her that it's her brother's role or duty to fight. Because in one scene, Princess Tigra was kind of lamenting the fact that she had to sit inside while her brother got to go out and fight and get all the honor. But her teacher tells her that it's her role to learn. She's being trained as a scholar. 
typically in these types of movies, they would say to the woman that it's she it's her role to get married and have kids, but that's not the message that we get here. She's being trained as a scholar and a diplomat, so she's going to have an important role in the kingdom. And it seems like Firekeep is interested in peace and diplomacy. I mean, they're training their princess to be a diplomat, and they try to negotiate peace with Necron, even when that peace might be tenuous. They still defer to that as, like, their go-to solution before war. Exactly. They don't go to war with them. They don't um, send a small group to infiltrate and take her back. They try to negotiate. So that is another piece of evidence there. Yeah. Yeah. If stupid, because Necron's a crazy asshole. And when Tigra was kidnapped and is being presented to Necron by Juliana as like a prize... Uh, instead of just being silent and cowering in fear, um, Princess Tigra, she stands up and starts negotiating with Necron, who has these immense powers. She just goes for it. Hard persuasion check. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She rolls she, the dice, all right. She stands up and walks towards him. She's an arm's length away and says, won't you negotiate peace between our peoples? Won't you take my hand as a friend? Mm. And she tries hard to turn it around. And um, he just starts laughing at her. It's not her fault. She didn't know she was just dealing with somebody who's insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Necron basically, I mean, he... he comes out in states. He has no interest in peace. He has no interest in marrying her. He's not looking to, like, take a bride as an as an object or anything. He's not looking to take a bride at all. He wants constant war. That's all he cares about. Yeah, and so that also makes me think about the themes of power and control. He and his mother have opposing ideas of what that means. And so Juliana wants to create a lineage. She wants him to have children. She wants him to have an heir, which rulers usually want because it legitimizes their rule and it will carry on the lineage of their domination and what they have attained. It becomes a matter of pride and this misguided concept that just because, well, first off, to even say that uh, no noble rulership is legitimate at all is, to me, tenuous at best, but then this, uh, there is this idea that your children are fit to rule because you are in charge of a nation, which is folly, but that's another story for another time, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Necron just wants to use his power. He thinks that it's something for him to just enact on others in the form of destruction and death. He sees himself as a superior being, which he says at one point in the movie, he doesn't want children. I think it's because he doesn't want to share power. He wants to... It seems like he wants to try to live forever. Well, he shouldn't have used up all those spell slots. Yeah. Shouldn't have killed that witch who could make herself undead either. Yeah, but that was like a very temporary undead. Yeah. All of those who oppose Necron and his mother seek their own freedom and autonomy, and they want to maintain their own cultural identities. They don't want to be dominated over they don't want to be colonized they want freedom from slavery uh tigra also expresses the desire for freedom 
in her lamenting of being shut in all day, she kind of is expressing a desire for her own autonomy to choose her own destiny. Yeah, she wants more out of life. We're not, we don't get a lot of opportunities to see what path she would choose for herself. I mean, I guess maybe warrior. Yeah, she's got a warrior's heart. Yeah, yeah she goes all in when she's fighting for her life. Yeah. yeah, she straight up kills people. She doesn't wait for others to help her. Even though she gets captured a lot, she's no wilting lily. She is a fighter. She is a resourceful survivor. Yes. Yeah. Very true. She knows how to make friends to help her in, when she's in need, too. Oh, and I, I forgot to mention mm. something else. She's also thick. Oh, uh, yeah. Most importantly of all. That's natural AC right there. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's nice to see some thick individuals, even if it's just uh, drawings. Yeah. No, you know, I we don't... don't see enough of that. She was curvaceous and beautiful. I don't disagree. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So that part was nice. Mm-hmm. Now I've got a theme. I was thinking this is a very good example in my mind of a romantic film. Okay, all right, I'm listening. Not a romance film. No, no. To differentiate that for any listeners who might be confused, uh, romance is like, you know, the loving, the kissing, and the hugging, the cute dates, the meet-cutes, things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're all familiar with those. The romance movement is what I'm referring to, which was a literary movement. Yes. Yes, where a lot of the major themes were like being at one with nature, not being like the typical chosen one hero, chosen by God, but a kind of a faith in like your fellow man, you're witnessing something from the outside, stuff like that. We're talking Keats, we're talking Blake, we're talking Byron, all the romantics. It's true. We're talking Shelley. Yeah, they're all in there. Read you lit. Yes. It's lit. It's true. We do follow some royals in this, which is something you might expect from a pretty typical piece. You might expect the hero to be like Taro, the prince with a warrior's heart. Very nationalistic. But it's not. Taro dies. The princess, who is not typically the main character, is one of the main characters. And there isn't just one main character, there's three. And they all have equal-sized parts in the film. Yes. And they come together like an adventuring party. I don't think any one of them could have done it on their own. Which is also a romantic idea. That really seems to be the case. Yes. Dark Wolf is a wolfman barbarian. He uses his rage in combat. And just goes all out nature boy style, right? So he's the force of Woo! nature in this. And he has yeah, yeah. Heal- some minor healing capabilities. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to have some natural magic, a little druid or ranger training. Yeah, So he's true. kind of like a force of nature. Exactly. Exactly. And so the three main characters is a, a woman who is educated, right? A pretty non-typical protagonist in this sort of barbarian setting. Right. Sounds romantic to me. Yes. And then just this Viking guy, who's that's pretty classic, but he's not some just like meathead running around wanting to chop everything apart. He's just trying to like stop this destructive force that killed his village. Yeah, Larn is not like a raging Hulk or anything. No, and he's not a chosen one either. In fact, he loses in his fight to Necron. Yeah, he's not he's even kind of a chump. The, yeah, he's not the one who's supposed to win. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, when I first saw this movie, this is my second time watching it, I was so shocked that Dark Wolf was the one that fought and killed Necron. Yeah. I was like, wait, but isn't Lauren the main character? <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't get introduced to Dark Wolf until, like, what, 30 minutes in or so? Something like that, yeah. And so, I yeah, I realized that was kind of a thing. And it's about opposing forces of nature, the elements, right? Yeah. There's four elements, two elements, lava <laughs> and ice. Listen, there's four elements that make up all of existence, and two of them matter a lot in this movie. It's true. And then these three kind of unimportant to the politics characters, well, you could argue the princess is important to it, but... You know, she wasn't. But she's taken out of her element. Her, yeah, she's she taken is. out of the role where she would be the most capable because she's taken by these Neanderthals who don't speak the same language as her. So she can never negotiate with them. She it's can true. never talk to them and offer them anything. She can never reason with them. So throughout most of the movie, she is stripped of her opportunity to use her training, and she has to rely more on her adaptability. Yes, and then. Yeah. Yeah, so I think the takeaway here is that the kind of live-by-nature barbarian ends up being the hero that saves the day by killing Necron using just, like, his pure spirit, right? Who's abusing a force of nature. Exactly. Ne Necron. Yeah. Yeah. Ju yeah, exactly to right. To be fair, like Jamie pointed out, King Gerald kind of does, too. Yeah. He just doesn't seem to have much regard for nature, unfortunately. Or, I mean, I guess he kind of feels like he doesn't have a choice at that point. He doesn't want to do it. He feels like he's saving his people by doing it. He's willing oh. to do it. You bring up another great <laughs> thing. The relationship with nature in this. Nature is so powerful. In addition to the elements, there's also the fauna. The animals, the giant lizard, yeah. easily anus -face wipes octopus. out. Yeah, giant anus face octopus takes so much stabbing to wound. Can't kill it. There's the parasitic insect thing that latches onto the arm that takes so much stabbing to kill. Yeah. And then they have Nature's the firehawks, which they work with to get, you know, the person to kill Necron, Dark Wolf. He has to work with this animal to get to the final fight. And then they re they need a firehawk to escape at the end. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. So they require their relationship with nature. So you're saying that James Cameron stole everything from this movie and from Fern Gully all I'm to create saying, Avatar. Yeah, all I'm saying is Larn is Taruk Mokdow. That's all I know. So this is kind of a version of nature versus civilization in that it seems to be a message that you should be in a more symbiotic relationship with nature. Yeah. But if you can't, burn that shit down. It's kind of speaking out against being destructive. and. Yeah. And in addition to that, Larn's great victory in the film was not defeating Necron. It was, he, you know, he lost his entire village. And in the end, he made an intimate friendship with the princess... And, you know, maybe they kiss at the end, so perhaps they're going to have a more romantic relationship at the end. Up to that point, it's very a very wholesome friendship. Yeah. Yeah, this movie um, eschews the thing that we often criticize in films like this, and that happened, I'll, I'll reference back to last week in The Scorpion King, mm -hmm. where the 
love interests start by hating each other. They have a little bit of tension in the beginning, but it's very quickly dissipated, and they build a strong relationship very rapidly, which is nice, and it's a little bit more like a natural flow. I mean, this is a short movie. This movie is 81 minutes with credits, so they don't have a lot of time to build up the relationships and stuff. They kind of do a lot through kind of montage with the characters. That was so well done. Because in order to show that they're becoming vulnerable, all they do is the characters have one line of dialogue each, and they're opening up to each other and being supportive to each other. And that just segments into them, like, huddling together for warmth, showing that they've grown closer as part of that experience. And just visually and, like, As far as the pacing goes, they did that so well. They showed that character bonding in a matter of, like, five to ten seconds. Yeah. Yeah, In one point during that segment, Tigra tells Lauren that sometimes at night she feels scared. And instead of using that as an opportunity to come on to her, he just kind of is compassionate and takes her hand and shows her some support. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the strengths of this movie is that it really does more kind of atmospheric moody storytelling than like strictly uh verbal narrative it doesn't it doesn't say a lot there's not a lot of dialogue overall there's a lot of i mean you know for an animated film this is a little unusual there's a lot of long shots there's a lot of non-verbal scenes or scenes where characters mostly communicate through actions and stuff it creates an interesting mood that i think is probably unusual for a lot of animated films yeah it is but earlier, Jack, you were going to make a point about love. You were talking about their friendship. Yeah, that is part of the romantic movement. I think that's why the term romance, like a romantic film these days, is mostly just focused on love. Is because love is one of the greatest rewards that you can get from a romantic theme. And at the end, that's what two of the main characters get. Yeah. They get community, right? And, yeah. Um, at that moment, right before they kiss... Tigra makes the point to Larn that they need to start over, and she argues for peace. He's going to take a boulder and smash the head in of one of the Neanderthals who's wounded, and she stops him, and he listens to her. No, no, let him die of the wounds. (laughs) And the Neanderthal man looks really scared, and he seems, Larn seems like he really wants to do it, but... He listens to her and realizes she's right, and she says, "Let's let's start with friendship." Yeah, and oh, um, yeah. he throws the rock away and lets the man live, and they walk away together, and that's when they kiss. Yeah, yeah, I, I like the theme of unity and strength through community of this, and it's you know, um, Necron loses because he refuses to see the strength of unity. Like he- Juliana wants him to be married, which is you know, some might say the ultimate union. But that's just cultural bias to some extent. He can't make meaningful connections with others. Right. And so if he had allied with somebody, if he hadn't driven everyone away from him, maybe in the end he wouldn't have failed. But he was defeated by a unified front. I mean, Dark Wolf kind of kills him single-handedly. But Dark Wolf embraced friendship and community. And he really helped... Larn, for no reason other than the fact that Larn was injured, Dark Wolf could have let him die. He had no reason to help this guy, but he saw a strength and a kindness in Larn that made him want to help him. 
Yeah. And use his own probably limited resources to save his life. Yeah, that's good. Also, yeah, Necron, when his mother brings him the princess as a bride, Necron says that the idea, or maybe this is when he's talking to Taro, but he mentions the idea of marrying makes him, like, sick to his stomach. Well, he mentions marrying her, but he also threatens his mom, saying, if you try to bring me a bride again, I'll, like, have your head on a pike or something along yeah. those lines. Yeah. He's like, if you bring me another bride and try to set me up, I'll just straight up kill you, even though you're my mom. Mother, you know that girls have cooties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, when he's talking to Taro, he's like, yeah... Your sister's pretty, but, like, you guys... Nah. You're no, so not worth it. Girls are gross. Yeah. <laughs> I like ice. <laughs> okay, Necron. Ice, ice is my friend. It is cold and chilling and hard, like me. Nice. Okay, Necron. Ice can never betray you. <laughs> <laughs> Who hurt you, Necron? <laughs> when the lava flow is coming in and he's in his last moments, he just sees the snowman that he built melting from the lava. And he's like, no! <laughs> oh, man, that would have been a great, like, clincher on this whole yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, this seems like the perfect time to move on to evil, stupid, or misunderstood. Welcome to Evil, Stupid, or Misunderstood, the part of the podcast where we take a look at the villain's motives and behaviors and determine if they're stupid or evil or maybe just misunderstood. So guys, we've talked a lot about Necron throughout this whole process because he's such a presence in the movie. Even when he's not there, we hear his name spoken in hushed tones or with awe or with rage like the sorcerer that... Um, they bring Tigra to. Yes. So what do we think? Evil, stupid, or misunderstood? I mean, I think he's evil. I think he's definitely evil. I could see that. And we're talking about Necron. We're talking about Necron. <laughs> he's evil. But why is he evil? He just wants to use his power to hurt others and destroy things. He seems to be the happiest when he's doing that, even to the point where it seems orgasmic to him. Yes. Classic evil. I'd yeah. say that. And uh, he has no empathy for others. That's an understatement. Mm. Um, <laughs> he just wants to subjugate others. He kills at will. Yeah. He's like a kid playing with toys. Yeah. yeah. Smashing his action figures together. Yeah. Yeah. Knocking down like Lincoln Log houses. He... He's reveling in his power. And he does it just because he can. Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. I think that I would probably argue that he's pretty stupid because he rejects friendship. But that's more of a personal taste. I don't know if his behaviors are inherently stupid the way we would usually categorize them for this segment. Yeah, yeah. He is obsessed with using his power and dominating others to the point of insanity. So not misunderstood. Yeah. No. <laughs> it could have been how he was raised, but he also could have inherited the evil from his mom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he got the evil gene. Yeah. His mother... Like Hitler and Walt Disney. Classic. His mother raised him to use these powers, and 
she's encouraging him to conquer all of the lands and subjugate all the people. So she's pretty evil too. She just doesn't have the same level of power that Necron does. I Otherwise, I think she'd be doing all of that herself. Yeah, oh, for sure. She's, she seems to be like a mom who just really wants her son to like get out on the dating scene. Like she's concerned. Maybe he had like a bad relationship. He really got hurt. And she's just like, listen, I got to find him someone. I got to set my boy up. Like this is just, he's moping around the castle all day. He just sits in my bathrobe on his throne. He doesn't even talk to the Neanderthals. Like I got to get him. I got to get him out of my castle. Yeah. And he just refuses to leave. Yeah. I'd say the mom is probably, like, lawful evil. Like, oh, following yeah. the traditions mm-hmm. of typical kingdoms, trying to give him an heir and a bride and whatnot. And then he's probably neutral evil. Not chaotic evil? Uh, he sends messengers sometimes and accepts visitors. But he just murders them. Yeah, he does. It was like his whim. I could whim. see chaotic. Yeah. Yeah, it was like his whim to let them in just so he could toy with them. Yeah, that's true. That's pretty chaotic. That's pretty chaotic. I could see it. I see it. And, like, he did the same thing with Larn when he was fighting with Larn. Yeah, he was like, I'm curious about you. Yeah. Guards, uh, bring him over but, here. But if there's a chance that I'm going to lose, I'm actually just going to magic your ass. Yeah. yeah. So, evil. Yeah. I yeah. think we got a chaotic evil. Yeah. Yeah. Both evil. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's head to the smithy. Welcome to the Smithy, where we forge a rating for this movie after we each recount an epic moment or feature of the film. Chelsea, an epic moment or feature, and then your forged rating from 1 to 10, Fire and Ice Swords. (laughs) Nice, you have to go first. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to pick an epic moment because the whole movie felt so epic because of the art style yes but i gotta say i think if i had to pick one the moment when dark wolf just glides in on his dying pterodactyl and just charges in and screams and is swinging his axe around taking fools out that was so epic. Yeah. He must have killed like a dozen. Yeah. In that moment. Easy. He goes into a rage flight, like riding in on his dying pterodactyl. I was sad for the pterodactyl. Oh, yeah. That was oh. But at the same moment, it was pretty metal. Where, <laughs> so. Yeah. Where did he get the horse at the end? Uh, well, he was riding it earlier in the film. He must have just like had it grazing somewhere. Huh? Maybe it's, like, one of his ranger beast companions. He can just, like, call to it and it'll come to him. Maybe it's, like, Roach in Witcher, where you just whistle and then he's there. Yep. She's there. Just like that. And she's there. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So, that's my epic moment. I'm gonna give this movie a 10 out of 10 swords. Whoa! That is epic. Dude, that's pretty fiery. Yeah, they put... I think that's ice cool. (laughs) It's not necessarily a perfect movie, but I'm giving it a top rating because they put so much work into the art and, and making it look 
so realistic in terms of the movements of the humans. They did all the live action filming and then drawing over that and all the different layering to the backgrounds and everything. It's just such a beautiful movie and I like the messages of the film. Nice. Of, of friendship and community. Um, and I, I liked that it didn't feel exploitative, which these movies at that time period so often could be. Um, so, yeah, I, I really liked it. Even with the string cheese bikinis, not exploitative. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's tantalizing, sure. Yeah. I'd say, though, that like 95% of the characters in this movie were essentially naked. Yeah, it <laughs> yeah, wasn't yeah. just the females. Yeah, I'd say two characters... Maybe three are wearing like covering oh. outfits. <laughs> yeah, like actual clothing. Yeah. Nah, so ten out of ten. Nice. nice. I, I that is an impressive Very rating. Cool. Also for that animation, if you just look up like a gif of any of the characters running, you'll see a person running in that. Yeah. yeah. It's impressive. Yeah. Jack, an epic moment or feature in your rating. Yeah, my epic moment, we kinda mentioned it. When uh, when the princess is talking to Necron and giving her peace speech, and she has her hand reached out to Necron, trying to take his hand in, you know, friendship, in peace. And he's just kind of, like, looking at it, like, what am I even seeing right now? Like, he's in disbelief. Because he just doesn't know what to do. He's stunned. Yeah. And then he's just, like... You see realization slowly, and this is a long kind of shot right here. Yeah, lingering. Yeah, lingering. As it, it, he's like processing it because it's so unlike anything that's ever happened to him. And then he just like quirks like a little smile as he's like, "Oh my god, she's stupid. <laughs> she's so dumb." And then he just starts like evil laughing, the like typical like. <laughs> Yeah, it's so good. And then he's just like hysterically laughing. He's just like, I spit on peace. And he's just so happy in that moment. That's like the happiest he's been in so long. Yeah. If, a, if a cartoon character can chew scenery, he was chewing the scenery. Yeah, it's true. And she's backing away from him just like, what is going on? Yeah, she's like, oh man. Like, I... I no people said he was evil. But a big thing of the Fire Kingdom is like... Even the king is like, nobody's evil. Gerald says that at one point. He can be reasoned with, surely. And so she probably grew up hearing that. And so that's why she's like, Necron, peace? I'm negotiating with you. And he's just like, oh, you're so dumb. You're actually such a fool. And he kicks her. Yeah. And, and then, uh, yeah, and she's in disbelief the way he was. Because she's like, oh, dude, he, the evil is in this guy. This is wild. Yeah, she had never seen true evil before. Yeah. Necron's, like, that classic kind of, like, cheesy, crazy, evil villain that I just feel good watching. <laughs> I thought that was a real hero moment for her. Yes, And it wasn't definitely. her fault because she didn't know how batshit he was. Yeah, exactly, yeah. She is awesome, pure of heart, and he is awesome, pure of heart, evil, though. Yeah. Pure, pure, of evil. E pure of black heart. Yes, they exactly. They fill their roles perfectly. Yeah. Like fire and ice. <laughs> Boom. And your rating? My rating? Yeah. The first time I watched it, I would have given it a low rating. The second time I watched it, I'm going to give it a high rating. I'm right in that 10 out of 10 swords. Whoa! Yeah, I'm going to... You gonna guys are putting me on the spot. Damn. Yeah, it's just... It's 
It's good. You guys are throwing down the gauntlet. Yeah. Nice. We're throwing you in the ice body pit. Oh, God. Yeah, so make a decision. Quick, before you fall. So, Jamie, what is your epic moment or feature? I'm glad you asked, Chelsea. My epic moment is a deep cut. And by deep cut, I mean it happens at the very beginning of the movie. I have to admit that I was really happy with the opening narration and kind of title crawl where they were showing these hand-drawn Frank Frazetta pictures. They're just Mm hand-drawn sketches in his classic fantasy style. And I was just like, wow, it just instantly hooked me. Nice. Seeing the sketches for a fantasy movie just totally worked for me. And I was just like, in my head, I was seeing classic like first edition monster manual and dungeon master's guide artwork just popping off the screen and i was so blown away and so happy you know seeing this conan style art that frazetta has been known for that you know the the original D &D artists were doing this style for um you know the same kind of fantasy style and listen i get it it's uh male gazy whatever like i fucking love fantasy art i will state that proudly and wholeheartedly yeah i can't lie it, it just it looks so good and and this just grabbed me right from the opening moments of the movie and i was so invested in really lingering in this world and getting a chance and you know it's a quick movie so you don't get a lot to go off of but like you get just the right amount to feel this world that they created and feel that they really put a lot into it. Oh, so good. Look them up. Watch, even better, watch the movie. Yeah. Just enjoy it. Yeah. Highly recommended. Um, Boy, I feel like I'd be betraying the movie if I didn't give it a 10 out of 10 at this point. Oh, so. yeah. 10 swords, guys. 30 swords between us. Yeah, I That's don't a, think we've ever done that. I Maybe for something. i can't even think of what it would have been conan maybe (laughs) no not even conan wow i don't know we've got 30 swords that's enough to arm a small militia so maybe we should rally the troops and head to the bounty board good idea you step into the same dingy tavern with the spilled mead smell and acrid cigar smoke and you look to the bounty board but sadly no bounties lie upon it so sad but hey maybe you should shoot as an email load it up into your bow and fire it to swords and satire at gmail.com ask us any questions you have share your thoughts on any of our previous episodes or talk about your favorite fantasy movies or what you want us to watch next and on that note i guess we'd better rewrite history This is Rewriting History, where we take the movie we just watched and we come up with an idea for a sequel, a reboot, or a spin-off. Now, guys, I know that Necron's kind of a huge dick, (laughs) but it's possible that today we need Necron more than ever because Necron can create glaciers. (laughs) Necron could be an environmentalist hero, kind of a Poison Ivy type, if you know what I'm saying. I can be, uh, yes. be down with that. Give him a little bit more motivation, a little bit more reason for being evil, maybe a little bit of this 
uh, backstory that I alluded to where he's been hurt by somebody. Betrayed mm-hmm. by a childhood friend. That's a classic one. It's made him really isolate himself. He <laughs> keeps Isolate. A, <laughs> I was going to say he keeps a fortress of ice around his heart yeah. in his isolation. Holy. <laughs> and and we I want to like have an opportunity to kind of play in the space of Necron and make him a little bit more sympathetic. I, I prefer a more sympathetic villain a lot of times. I think that somebody who you kind of get who is maybe concerned, maybe he's concerned with the damage that the Fire Kingdom is doing to the world. Maybe the Fire Kingdom's fire Dude. is melting the glaciers, flooding the world. The Fire King, Gerald doesn't really care. He's not concerned. He's interested in industry. His companies in his kingdom, you know, it doesn't matter that they're mm. ruining the environment. Mm-hmm. They've got to make that gold. That, yeah. that black gold, coal, and oil, my guy. That's yes. right. And diamonds. Yeah. The other black gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would like to see Necron, you know, if it's a modern setting... I'd like to see him as, like, the king of Antarctica. And he's okay. spreading the glaciers nice. yeah, yeah, northward. Yeah. And right? he's just going to freeze over the entire world. Yeah, that's his plan. I like this idea. I I, I don't want to do it in, like, a modern, modern setting. I want to keep it in a fantasy setting. Ah. But maybe one of those fantasy settings that feels kind of modern, if you know what I mean. I get Anachronistic. that. Your, oh, that's good. You know, like, your rat queens, where they use, like... Cell phones that are D and D talking movie. stones, yeah, or the D and D movie, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah, with your hoodie cowls, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, or King Arthur, the Legend of the Sword, oh, that'd be pretty good, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's such a good example, yeah, 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 yeah something like that, kind of pseudo medieval with a modern twist. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been a fan of this. All right. Here's a way to make Necron more likable in this, right? There are two things that some psychologists say are like the two things that fulfill a person's life, right? Purpose and community. But when it comes to community and purpose, he's he's got this idea of purpose already. In our reboot. the world in our reboot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get more time to focus on his motivations in this. He's like, my mom has always put these expectations on me that I'm just going to freeze the world and dominate everyone. Right? And maybe his goal isn't to freeze the entire world. Maybe it's to bring around another ice age to kind of control the spread of humans. Oh. Yeah. So that they can't hurt the environment as much. Oh, that's nice. good. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, that still sounds pretty evil because uh, in idea, maybe it's like, oh, you're helping the environment. In practice, it's pretty evil. Yeah. No, we've got just like, I keep going back to our movie last week, but we keep touching on yeah. aspects of it. Memnon was one of those villains who saw a problem and, you know, his only tool was a hammer. So everything looked like a nail. There's other ways That's that great. there's other ways that Necron could use his power to help the people around him, but he only sees the one solution, which is the well, it's not the scorched earth, it's the frozen earth solution. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. And so he's trying to save the environment. Maybe that's kind of one of the tales his mom helped spin for him. And so he thinks, you know, he's doing what his mom wants. 
He's saving the world. And so he thinks he's being a good person. And that's his purpose. That's his yeah. drive. So he's like an eco-terrorist. Yes. yes. But With good motivations, but evil execution. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But when it comes to community, he has these subjects that, you know, he just... He's seen his mom always treat them like they're disposable. So he can't really connect with someone who he views that way. He's only known their subjugation. And so he can't connect to them, and he gets used to subjugating them themselves, because monkey see, monkey do, you grow up doing what other people do, right? And so he feels kind of lost, and so the only person he can really connect with is his mom, but his mom is bad, you know? She she knows that this is evil, their eco-terrorism they're engaging in, and she just kind of wants power and domination, and she wants her son to be successful, sure, but Necron has only known this abusive, bad relationship his whole life. Yeah. And then yeah. as he spreads north, you know, maybe he could get kind of a glimpse of what it's like. And when the princess offers peace, maybe you could see a little bit of reflection inside of him where he maybe in this retelling, he wants to take it. Maybe but he's more conflicted. Maybe they spend more time together than a few moments. Yeah, that's a good mm. one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, kind of, it seems like we're going kind of down the Maleficent-type route here. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the, the foils to him. What are we going to do with our heroes in this reboot? Well, we could put the Vikings on boats. I think Vikings <laughs> like boats. I, I have heard one. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Viking society, I think, thrives when those are around. And they like cold. They do like cold. Oh, dude, so who better to fight Necron, the Antarctic menace? Yeah. Or we could put him at the North Pole, I suppose. Put I him closer to the Vikings. Yeah. Maybe after he's taken Larn and Tigra captive, they're staying with him longer and he gets to know them. He sees their friendship. Maybe he wants some of that for himself. He wants that connection. Yes. But he so doesn't know how to get it. They finally win him over. He becomes friends with them. And the three of them work together to overthrow his mother. Interesting. That's a nice twist. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of these themes of throwing off the shackles of your upbringing that have scarred you in some way and rising above that. Freeing you have yourself. community and purpose. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And freeing and yourself from... A uh, toxic relationship. Yeah. And he can freeze his mother in a block of ice. Yes, definitely. And then Dark Wolf just comes out of nowhere and chops the block in half. Oh. It's like... We've never seen Dark Wolf up to this point in the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. He just... Whoa! Yo! Yeah. And then, um, like all movies, when Dark Wolf, you know, becomes a good guy, he instantly is killed. So he doesn't oh, no. need a redemption arc. No, wait. He could have a redemption arc. A retcon. <laughs> Dark Wolf or Necron? Necron. Necron. Yes. Necron kind of works on... Yeah, we're not going to Kylo Ren poor Necron. Yeah. He deserves him, better than that. For him to actually have a redemption arc, he has to survive. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for true. the record, Kylo Ren also deserved better than that. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's true. And uh, yeah, Necron at that point could have an interesting spin-off movie or sequel where it is his kind of redemption arc where he has to kind of re renew his image. And, of course, he isn't going to be completely fixed in a day because even though he found community... Yeah, yeah, even though he found this community, you know, his mom is gone at this point and 
his goals are gone. So now he's kind of found himself lacking purpose. A little rudderless. Yeah, yeah. I'm imagining there's a scene where, like, one of his servants is, like, bringing him a drink and spills it. And he, like, goes to freeze the guy to death and then realizes, no, wait. That's the old me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's still there, though, right? Yeah. Oh, dude. He still has anger struggle. problems, yeah. for sure. He'd still have a lot of cruelty issues, I'd imagine. Probably. He, he, the thing is, he desires to be better. Yeah, in this one. Yeah, I really yeah. feel for this Necron yeah, yeah. that we're writing. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. More compelling, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like it. All right, well, on that note, I think it's time for a side quest. This is your side quest, where we tell you something else in the fantasy genre that we think you would enjoy and you should check out. And this week we've got something that is very fitting for the movie we just discussed, and that is Thundar the Barbarian. Yes! The 1970s animated cartoon classic fantasy story set in a pretty similar world to this world that is, I would say... Would probably be described as savage. Mm-hmm. I think it takes place like 2,000 years in the future. It does. So so Thundar takes place on the Earth after a meteorite cracks the moon in half and causes just all of our junk to get fucked up here on Earth. <laughs> yep. And like 2,000 years in the future, society has been grown over by nature. Nature has retaken its place. Cities and skyscrapers are covered in forests and jungles and people are still using the relics of the lost civilization and some people can still harness the uses of technology but also there's magic and barbarians and fucking awesome characters like Ukla the mock yeah they're like cat people mocks yeah yeah and Mm. princess ariel the sorcerer but yeah this show is amazing it's an old hanna-barbera cartoon uh starring thundar who has a laser sword that he never uses to kill anybody or anything. He uses it to, like, cut robots in half and stuff, but other than that, he mostly just deflects attacks with it. Yeah. And then uses his prodigious strength to throw enemies all the time. And in this world, to cast magic, everyone has to raise their hands above their heads, apparently. Because every time anybody casts magic, their hands automatically go above their head and then like colorful lasers shoot out of their hands yes. if their hands are tied up they can't do the magic <laughs> yeah, yeah it's all somatic components it's true but yeah thundar the barbarian check it out on dvd or anywhere else where you can watch thundar i don't know where that would be if you we watch, have the dvd <laughs> if you watch it you'll realize it important building block for a lot of fantasy that came after it probably yes. this movie yeah, yeah. to some surprised. extent I'm sure you'll find a place to to watch this. You're creative, resourceful. Yes. Just like Tigra. Yes. Nice. All right. Well, then we'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in and hanging in with us this week. Make sure to hop on over to Instagram or Facebook and join our Swords and Satire group or follow us on Instagram. And hey, don't forget, shoot us a little email to let us know what you think, or just to chat, you know? Let us know um, what you thought of Thundar and Fire and Ice, because you're definitely going to be watching all of those. Yeah. Oh, I really recommend it. Yes. Well, then on that note, 
Until next time, Hail Crom!